Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn together to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. It's good to see you here this morning. Proverbs chapter 20. We are seeking wisdom from the book of Proverbs, trying to gain some proverbial wisdom applied to vital aspects of our lives. And one of the things that keeps coming out in the book of Proverbs is how the more things change, the more things stay the same. The timelessness of God's word, the timelessness of this biblical wisdom. You know, our world may look very different from the world that Solomon lived in 3,000 years ago, but the human condition has not changed. We still have the same problems, the same temptations, the same struggles. And that's what we've been seeing all through the book of Proverbs. We've heard a father warning his son uh, about getting in with the wrong friends. Be better be careful, son. You get in with the wrong crowd and bad things are going to happen. Well, that hasn't changed at all. We still warn our young people about that danger. We heard the father warning his son about the adulterous woman, the temptress, the seductress who would lead him to ruin. And we said, you know what? We live in that world today. We need to warn our young men and young women, you better watch out. The wrong people, wrong man, the wrong woman can lead you down the wrong path. Better be careful. This issue of sex, and we've talked about marriage and uh, the struggles of marriage, the struggles of raising children. We've talked about anger. That's an old problem. We still have it today. Angry outbursts, talking about words and gossip and liars and busybodies. That's still around with us today. We've talked about all these things that have so much bearing. You know, it's amazing. The more things change, the more things stay the same. 3,000-year-old wisdom, and yet it's as though Solomon was reading our mail. It's like he, he lives right here with us. Well, today we're going to look at another subject, not a new problem. It's an old problem, but we still have the same issue, and that is the issue of alcohol. So this morning, how to be wise with alcohol, and the Bible's going to help us with that. And we're going to start in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Now, don't be like the man who said, hey, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. <laughs> I hope that you'll listen with an open heart and an open mind this morning, and let's let the Bible keep us wise about alcohol. If you have your bulletin, there's a listening guide on the back panel. And we've got a lot of ground to cover real fast, so let's jump right in. Let's start first of all with what the Bible does not say. And then we'll see what the Bible does say. But let's start first of all with what the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say, don't drink. doesn't say that. You will not find a verse in the Bible that says, don't drink wine, don't drink beer, don't drink liquor, don't drink it. You won't find that verse in the Bible. But along those same lines, you also don't find a verse that says, don't speed in a school zone, <laughs> don't smoke marijuana, don't shoot cocaine, don't, don't, don't play the lottery. You don't find those verses either. But there are timeless truths and overarching principles that inform our modern-day decisions, our lifestyle choices. And there are these principles that help us to decide what is wise and what is foolish, what is right, what is wrong, what's moral, what is immoral, and that's where we're going to find ourselves on this issue of alcohol. The Bible's not going to tell us, don't drink. It does not say that. Now, let me go ahead and address something, too. You can't say, well, they drank wine in the Bible, so it's okay to drink today. You can't say that because we're comparing apples and oranges. In other settings, we've done the deep dive. We've talked about the different 
terminologies uh, in the Bible, talking about wine and strong drink, those kinds of things. We've talked about different processes that they had for storing and preserving their grape juice or wine, different processes for fermenting wine and all the rest. We've, we've done all that. I'm not going to rehash all that this morning, but let me kind of summarize it for you in the short version. Here in Proverbs 20, verse 1, he talks about strong drink. Strong drink is a brawler. The word there for strong drink comes from the same word that you get drunkenness from. This is the drink that you drink to get drunk. Strong drink. It's not wine. It is a fermented beverage made from fruits or grains or barley. So you can think beer or hard liquor. But it is the drink that you drink to get drunk. Strong drink gets you drunk. And it's condemned. Strong drink is a brawler. There are four other words in the Bible, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Greek New Testament, there are four other terms that are translated wine in our English Bibles. Four different words, and it comes out as wine in our English. Those four different words can refer to anything from the wine that's still in the grape. Okay, that's grape juice. If it's still in the grape, that's not wine, right? That's just, that's juice. That's grape juice in the grape. And yet it can be referred to as wine in our English Bibles. So it can be the juice that's still in the grape. It could be the juice that's just been squeezed out of the grape, fresh squeezed grape juice. It could be unfermented wine. It could be fermented wine. It could be intoxicating wine. So four different words covering all of that spectrum, and it comes out as wine in our, in our English Bibles. See where that could get confusing a little bit. And you have to look at the context to know what's being discussed. What's the context? It's kind of like our word drink in English. If you're watching a TV show or a movie and something bad happens or somebody just has an argument with somebody and then they say, I need a drink. And they go over and they pour out, a, uh, they get a, a, a crystal canter and pour something out. Well, you know what that drink is. That's going to be alcohol. I need a drink. You know what they mean. If you and I are driving down the road and I say, hey, let's stop and get a drink, you better know I don't mean alcohol. You know, I mean, let's get a Coke, let's get a cup of coffee, let's get some water. Context. If you're not from the South, you need to know that here in the South, we got all kinds of Coke. Coke doesn't always mean Coke, right? Here in the South, we got Coca-Cola, we got Pepsi Coke, we got Dr. Coke, we got Orange Coke, White Coke, Yellow Coke. There's all kinds of Coke. So it's not just coat. You need the context. So the warning is you can't just look at the Bible and say, oh, see, there's wine. It's okay to drink wine. They also had different processes for preserving their grape juice, or they could let it ferment naturally without any kind of adulteration. It's just going to turn into vinegar. Or they could add sugar or yeast to it and cause it to ferment, increase alcohol content. I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of mud in the water. Dr. Robert Stein is a New Testament scholar. He investigated wine drinking in, in the Bible world, the ancient world. He said this, In the days of Jesus, wine was actually wine mixed with water, typically diluted with three to four parts water to one part wine. The Greeks did this. The Romans did this. The Jews did this. Customarily, typically, not always, but typically they would dilute their wine Four parts water to one part wine. He goes on to say, you would have to drink 22 glasses of their wine to get the alcohol content of two of our modern-day martinis. That's a lot of wine. See, it's different, isn't it? There's a difference. You can't compare apples and apples. 
apples and oranges. So not all wines are the same. And even when they drank fermented wine, many times it would be diluted to the point um, where it was not even intoxicating. Norman Geisler said this. He concluded, Therefore, Christians ought not drink wine, beer, or other alcoholic beverages, for they are actually strong drink. Remember the drink that gets you drunk. They are actually strong drink, and they are forbidden in the Scripture. Even ancient pagans did not drink what some Christians drink today. With our modern-day distillation process, with our fortified alcoholic content, our, our, even our wine is strong drink. So you can't compare apples and oranges. You can't say, well, they drank wine in the, in the Bible, so it's okay to drink wine today. Can't, can't go there. You're going to have to do a little bit more work than that. So what the Bible does not say, it does not say don't drink. You won't find that verse in the Bible. Well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible does say drunkenness is sin. Drunkenness is sin. Let me give you some verses. We'll look up a few together. But Isaiah 5, just listen. Isaiah 5, 11. Woe to those. That's a woe, a warning. Sorrow, warning. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Those who drink to get drunk. Those who are who are alcoholics, woe to them. Isaiah 5.22, woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in strong drink. When that becomes a bragging point for you, I can hold my liquor, or I know how to mix drinks. Woe, woe to that one. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a New Testament verse. Do not be drunk with wine. That is dissipation. The word dissipation translates the Greek word asotia. Originally meant to be hopelessly and incurably sick. Later came to describe actions without regard to consequences. Recklessness. Recklessness. Wastefulness. Undisciplined. Uh, a debauched life. So do not get drunk with wine. That's a clear command. That's, that's not confusing. Don't be drunk with wine. That's recklessness. It's destructive. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Eric Lane said, You cannot be controlled by spirits, alcohol. You can't be controlled by spirits and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, at the same time. You must make your choice. I can either be controlled by spirits or by the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's go to Proverbs. That's where we've been camping out lately. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23. And verse 20, Proverbs 23, 20. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine. Don't hang out with them. Don't be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. So don't even hang out with them. And here, drunkenness and gluttony are, are twin sisters. They are the epitome of a lack of self-control, self-discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says the same thing, 1 Corinthians 5.11. I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. Someone who calls himself a Christian brother, don't associate with a so-called brother if he is an immoral person, someone who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with such a one. So here's some folks, even if they call themselves a Christian, when they live this kind of lifestyle, you don't want to hang out with that kind of a person. And one of those is a drunkard. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Turn with me there. 
Galatians chapter 5. Paul's going to help us. Galatians 5 and verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. Now the deeds of the flesh, that's not good. Deeds of the flesh, these are sins. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and he's got a whole laundry list of these sins, sinful deeds of the flesh, immorality, again, sexual promiscuity, sex outside of marriage, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. These are all deeds of the flesh. And listen, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, those who have a lifestyle characterized by the deeds of the flesh, drunkenness is one of these, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Along the same lines, 1 Corinthians 6, if you want to turn there. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? These folks who live this way, they're not going to heaven. Do not be deceived. Doesn't matter, no matter what you want to believe, doesn't matter what somebody says, doesn't matter what the preacher says. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, a laundry list. These are the deeds of the flesh. These are immoral, sinful lifestyles characteristic of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. As you read the Bible, you're going to find out that drunkenness leads to all manner of sin and debauchery. You just read the Bible. You see when people get drunk, even men of faith like Noah and others, Lot, they get drunk and they commit all kinds of sin, including incest and immorality, um, violent crimes, error, idolatry, poverty, death, and ultimately hell. So there's no confusion about this. <laughs> Drunkenness is sin. So that's clear as it can be. Drunkenness is sin and leads to all kinds of problems. And those who live that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, okay then. Well, what about drinking without drunkenness? What if I, what if I stay in control? What about drinking in moderation? All right, well, let's take a look. So that's what the Bible does say. Drunkenness is sin. Here's something else the Bible says. Watch out. <laughs> Beware. Warning after warning after warning. Here's what the Bible does say. It doesn't say don't drink, but it does say you better watch out. You better be careful. You better beware. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's where we started. Wine is a mocker. You back up in chapter 19, the writer is talking about the mocker as a fool. It's a version of the proverbial fool. You got the wise person and the fool all through Proverbs. You want to be wise. You don't want to be a fool. That's a moral fool, not someone who's intellectually deficient, someone who's morally deficient. And one brand of fool in Proverbs is the mocker. The mocker scoffs at things that are holy, scoffs at authority, and is unteachable. He just will not learn. He won't listen. That is the mocker. And you hear about that kind of a fool in chapter 19. And then the next thing you know, in chapter 20 and verse 1, wine is personified as a mocker. Wine's a mocker. Wine will scoff at things that are holy, 
scoff at things that are true, uh, make fun of justice. Wine is unteachable. And wine will make a mocker out of you. Strong drink, the drink that gets you drunk, strong drink is raging or it's a brawler. It's noisy. It's tumultuous. And whoever is deceived thereby or led astray, whoever errs because of that is not wise. That's a warning. That's a loud warning. You better watch out. Better watch out. Here's another warning. Chapter 23. Let's go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23 and verse 29. Who has woe? We start off with a riddle. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Or who has black eyes? It could be bloodshot eyes or black eyes. So who has all these conditions, these symptoms, these problems? It's a riddle. Here's the answer. Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. One writer said, this describes the sorry state of the drunkard this is the sorry state of the drunkard look at it in verse 29 who has woe and who has sorrows emotional problems who has contentions and complaints social problems who has wounds without cause redness of the eyes physical problems in verse 33 he says your eyes will see strange things your mind will utter perverse things mental problems In verse 34, you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or one who lies down on the top of a mast going back and forth. You're swaying. Can't even walk straight. The room is spinning. That kind of idea. And then then we have the warning in verse 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. And verse 31, he says, don't look on it when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, literally when its eye is in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, literally when it goes down the right road. Here he, he describes wine... You remember when dad was warning his son about the temptress, the, the adulterous woman? Oh, son, don't even look her in the eyes. You know, remember that? Don't even look her in her eyes. She'll bat her eyes at you. Or, you know, a woman can say a lot just with a twinkle in her eyes. Son, don't look her in the eyes. She is a temptress. She is a seductress, and she will lead you to ruin. You have the same image, the same language here. Don't look at it when it's got that eye in the cup. It goes down smooth. It looks pretty. It goes down smooth. It tastes good. But in the end, it'll bite you like a serpent. It'll sting like a viper. It's like playing with a snake. It'll get you in the end. It's, what do you have? A warning. It is a warning. You better be careful. In chapter 31, let's go to chapter 31. In chapter 31, we have the queen mum. <laughs> the queen mother says to her son, Proverbs 31, verse 4, It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink. For they will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. So the one who's on his deathbed, he's in agony. Give him strong drink. Like we would administer morphine. You can't help him. Let's keep him comfortable. Give strong drink to the one who's perishing. Wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. 
But here's the queen mom said, son, you're the king. You don't need to be drunk. You need to watch out. It's not for kings to drink wine. It's not for rulers to drink strong drink. Why? Because you make decisions that affect others. In the Old Testament, God told his priests, you don't, you don't, you don't drink on the job. You don't, don't you come into my house and work in my presence under the influence. Don't drink on the job. We come over to the New Testament. Spiritual leaders in the church in the New Testament, pastors and deacons, are not to be addicted to wine. So we have warning after warning after warning. It doesn't say, don't you go out there and drink. Don't drink wine. Don't drink beer. Don't drink liquor. It doesn't say that. But it does say you better watch out. You better be careful. Warning after warning after warning. So what do we do with this? Well, I want to be wise. That's why we're in Proverbs, right? We've been looking in Proverbs. I want to gain some wisdom. I want to live wisely. So what's the wise thing to do? It doesn't say don't. It does say you better watch out. So how can I be wise with alcohol? Well, let's, let's add some information to our decision-making process, and let's look at some facts that will help me to make a decision on what's wise, what's prudent. So let's, let's look at some facts. Number one, alcohol is dangerous. It's dangerous to me and to my life. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Why do you warn about it? Because it's dangerous. Alcohol is a drug. It is our country's drug of choice. It's our favorite drug. But we pretend it's not a drug. I mean, it's everywhere. We advertise it. We promote it. I mean, it is, it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere, but a drug it is, and it's a harmful drug. Alcohol is related to some 200 diseases of the body, including diseases of the liver, and as well as hypertension, heart disease, stroke, pancreatitis, breast cancer, cancers of the mouth, throat, esophagus, digestive tract, colon, and rectum. It's associated with birth defects, behavioral problems, mental health issues, and dementia. Just to name a few, alcohol is dangerous. It's dangerous to me. It's dangerous to my body, dangerous to my health. It's also addictive. We know this. We know that at least 10%, if not 15% of people who drink, quote, in moderation, become alcoholics. It's addictive. So one out of 10, maybe one and a half out of 10 people who drink at all, become addicted to it. It becomes the controlling force of their lives. It takes over their lives. If you knew that one out of 10 airplanes crash and burn, you would never get on another airplane, would you? Well, look, it's 90, you know, 90% of the time you'll land safely. Oh no, I'll drive. <laughs> I'll walk. You won't get me on a plane if there's a 10% chance it's going to crash. You assume those same risks when you drink. When you drink, it is, it's a dangerous drug. It's those, again, it's those same odds. No one drinks thinking, I'll become an alcoholic. Watch this. No. Everyone drinks thinking, I'll be fine. It won't be a problem for me. I can hold it. I'll control it. I won't be an alcoholic. But 10% of the time, maybe 15% of the time, it destroys. It takes over their life. Now, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a child of God. I'm a slave of Christ. That's the New Testament terminology. I'm a slave of Christ. I belong to him. I've been bought and paid for. 
And I'm not to be controlled by anyone or anything other than my rightful owner, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not to be controlled by sin or by the flesh or by the world, let alone a drug like alcohol. I'm to be under the influence of Jesus Christ. He owns me. Alcohol is dangerous. Let's, let's pretend I have a friend, and I would love to introduce you to my friend. I want to tell you, he's a great guy. He's fun to have around. He's a wild card. You never know what he's going to do next. He's a mess. But if you, if you have a party, you want him there because he's the life of the party. He is a good time. But now I need to tell you, in full disclosure, he's kind of crazy. He's unpredictable. You never know what he's going to do, what he's going to say. And he has been known to wreck marriages. He has been known to hurt children. He has been known to get people fired. But 90% of the time, he's a great guy and fun to have around. You want me to bring him by Friday night and you can meet him? You'd say, oh, no, I got enough problems. I don't need that kind of drama in my life. He might be a great guy, but I'm not going to risk it. Folks, that's alcohol. Maybe 90% of the time, it's a good time, great time, fun, harmless, 10% 10% of the time, he'll wreak havoc. Oh, it's too dangerous. I don't want to take that risk. Not only is it dangerous to me, it's dangerous to those around me. Alcohol is dangerous to those around me. Here are some facts. Alcohol is linked to domestic abuse, child abuse, and divorce. 85% of the children in our Baptist children's homes are not there because they're orphans, They're there because they were removed from homes broken by alcohol. Teens who drink alcohol are seven and a half times more likely to use an illicit drug, 50 times more likely to use cocaine than students who don't drink. Alcohol is the gateway drug. It it opens Pandora's box. It is the gateway drug to other drug use. 82% of teens will drink if their parents drink. 72% of teens won't drink if their parents don't drink. Well, so that's interesting, isn't it? That's encouraging. If you drink and you try to tell your kids not to drink, 82% chance, no, they're going to drink too. If you don't drink, 72% chance they won't drink either. On our college campuses, one in three college students drinks for the purpose of getting drunk. That's what, And it starts on the first day of college. They drink to get drunk. And on our college campuses, it's related to everything bad that happens. Crime, sexual assault, rapes, sexually transmitted diseases, academic problems in school. I mean, it's all of it. It all comes back to alcohol. Bottom line is, it's dangerous to me. It's dangerous to those around me. And I'm responsible for my influence on other people. Romans 14, 21 it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. In other words, you know, am I my brother's keeper? The answer to that is, uh, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, it's good not to eat, drink, eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, there's a whole context for that passage, and we've dealt with that in other settings. But the bottom line is I'm responsible for my influence on others. It may be that I could drink in moderation and never have a problem. And just so you know, I don't drink. Just so you know, <laughs> your pastor doesn't drink. You can't assume that anymore. We've got a young group of preachers today think it's cool. I don't drink. I never have, and by God's grace, I never will. But let's just say, let's say I can drink and I can hold it. Never, never get drunk. I never become an alcoholic. I'm responsible. I'm careful. I'm good. 
But my children grow up seeing that, and they think it's okay. And one or more of them becomes an alcoholic. 82% of teens will drink if their parents drink. What if they become an alcoholic and it takes over their life? I'd rather die than be responsible for that. Or it could be my grandchildren now. I'm responsible for my influence on others. But it's dangerous to me. It's dangerous to those around me. Here's a third thing we need to know. It is detrimental to my testimony. It's detrimental to my testimony. Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, and we know that that extends to you and to me. We are his witnesses. We're to make disciples of all the nations. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My whole life is about pointing people to Jesus Christ. I want to point lost people to Jesus via the gospel. I want to point saved people to Jesus, to live under his lordship, to grow in Christ. So our whole lives as Christ followers is to follow Christ and encourage others to do the same. Alcohol does not help that. Wine, beer, whatever it is, it doesn't help you be an influence for Christ. It just, it, it's not going to help in any way, shape, or form. It's detrimental to my testimony. Again, I have a responsibility for the influence that I might have on someone else. I want to influence people positively for the sake of the gospel. Maybe I could drink, never have a problem. I go out to a restaurant, and there's you and your family, and you're in that same restaurant, and you're two tables over. And you and your family, you see Brother Jeff drinking a beer or whatever it is, margarita, whatever. You see me drinking. Your kids see me drinking. Well, it must be okay. The preacher's drinking it. It must be okay. Again, maybe it's never a problem for me. Maybe it becomes a problem for you, though. Or, heaven forbid, your children. And I pointed them the way. Nope. I got enough to answer for. I'm not going to add that to the list. Uh, I'm responsible for my influence on others. I want to influence people for Christ, to Christ, in Christ. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 8, Take care that this liberty of yours, and we have Christian liberty, we have freedom. That's another sermon for another day. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Let's be honest. Would you think more or less of Billy Graham... If you saw an image of Billy Graham holding a bud, saying, this bud's for you, trust Jesus. I, I don't think you're going to think more highly of him. I dare say you would think less of him. Folks, it, it's not helpful. It's not, it's not helpful. Again, we've got a new generation of preachers today who think it's cool. They're too cool for school, and it's cool for let's go out and get a beer and talk about Jesus. It's never a compliment when the world says, hey, he's one of us. She's just like us. She's cool. Come out from among them and be ye separate. We're to be holy. We're to be set apart. There's to be a distinction. This doesn't, this doesn't help us point people to Christ. It may or may not hurt. I think it probably will hurt in the end. It's detrimental to my testimony. Here's another fact. It's detrimental to my community. Alcohol is detrimental to my community. Here again, here's just some more stats. Or, or listen to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln said, again, this is not a new problem, is it? It's an old problem. Been around forever. Abraham Lincoln said this, Alcohol has many defenders, but no defense. 
He goes on to say, whereas the use of intoxicating liquors as a beverage is productive of pauperism, degradation, and crime, and believing it is our duty to discourage that which produces more evil than good, we therefore pledge ourselves to abstain from the use of intoxicating liquors as a beverage. Wow. Would that we had politicians like that today, let alone a president. Here's some facts. 95,000 people die from alcohol-related causes in the U.S. every year. Almost 100,000 people die. Alcohol's in the picture. 10,000 drunk driving deaths per year. 40% of homicides, alcohol-related. A third of suicides. A third of drownings. A third of all traffic fatalities. Over a third of sexual assaults. 27% of aggravated assaults. Two-thirds of domestic assaults. Two-thirds of domestic assaults. 40% of child abuse. All comes back to alcohol. Well, it brings revenue, right? It's good for the economy. It brings in revenue. For every $1 of revenue that comes in, we spend $8 cleaning up the mess. It's bad business. We're losing business. What did Jesus say? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We're to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's detrimental to my community. Here's another fact. I mean, we're just trying to figure out, okay, what's the wise thing to do? Here's another thing we need to know. It's unhelpful and it's unnecessary. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's unhelpful and it's unnecessary. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine. That's, that's dissipation, asotia, wastefulness, recklessness, but be filled with the Spirit. Now think about this. Why do people drink? Well, it facilitates social interaction. You know, you have it at a party so that people can talk better and put people at ease and all this. It facilitates social interaction. Well, when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need a drug to do that. We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit. We've experienced the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. And now we can be vessels of that same love, grace, mercy, and selflessness toward others. We don't need a drug for social interaction. Some people drink so that they can escape so that they can cope with life's demands and struggles and pain. Well, followers of Christ don't need a drug to do that. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. With Christ, all things are possible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't need a drug to cope. I don't have to escape. God Almighty is my God. He's my Father in heaven, and the Spirit of God dwells in me. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, people drink because it lowers inhibitions. Folks, the last thing in the world we need is lowered inhibitions. We need to be sober, be vigilant, watch out. Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. We need to be on the lookout. We don't need lowered inhibitions. So in the end, it's, it's unnecessary and it's not helpful. So... Let's put it together. Bible doesn't say don't drink. Okay. It does say drunkenness is sin. Okay. It does say you better watch out. You better be careful. You better be smart. And so we're left with, well, what's the wise thing to do? Well, you look at all these facts. It's dangerous to me and to my life. It's dangerous to the people around me. It's detrimental, detrimental to my testimony. It's not good for my community. And in the end, I don't even need it. So what's the wise thing to do? There was a king who needed a new chariot driver. And he had three applicants for the job. And so he thought he would ask each of these potential chariot drivers a question. If we're driving alongside of a cliff, how close would you drive my chariot to the cliff? And the first applicant said, Sire, I would drive within 12 inches of the cliff's edge. Not to be outdone, the second guy said, Sire, 
I would drive within six inches of the cliff's edge. And the third guy said, sire, I'd stay as far away from the edge as I possibly could. He got the job. I submit to you respectfully that the safest, wisest thing for God's people to do is to stay as far away from it as you can. It's not worth the risk. It comes with all kinds of dangers and harms and baggage. It's just not worth the risk. It's the wisest course of action for the welfare of of ourselves, our families, our testimony, for the glory of God. Stay away from it. I have never, in in over 30 years of ministry, I've never seen one good thing come out of alcohol. Not one good thing. I haven't seen anybody come to faith in Christ because a cool preacher shared a beer with them. I've not seen that. I haven't done it. I haven't seen it. I've not seen one positive thing, but I, I can tell you, I've seen a world of carnage and heartache and regret. I've talked to men and women who had a little too much to drink and committed adultery and destroyed their marriages under the influence of alcohol. More than I can count. I've talked to the men who got, got a little drunk and they said things to people they never thought they would, they never imagined they'd ever say, did things to people they, they never imagined they would ever do. I've talked to the people who lost their job because of alcohol, lost ministry because of alcohol, all manner of sin and shame and loss. I've never seen one good thing come of it. I submit the wisest thing to do is stay away from it. Robert E. Lee, y'all remember him, right? You're from the South, you should. Robert E. Lee, he said, My experience through life has convinced me that abstinence from liquor is the best safeguard to morals and health. And again, on the other side of the line, Abraham Lincoln, alcohol has many defenders, but no defense. I'll just tell you, I hate it. I hate alcohol. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate what it does. Now, if you drink, I don't hate you. I don't hate you because you drink. But I hate alcohol, and I hate what it could do to you and to your family. So I'm here to encourage you, to warn you, and to encourage you. You don't need it. Be wise with this stuff. You better watch out. Be careful. Be wise. Now, let me say this. Being a Christian is not about what you drink and don't drink or what you eat and don't eat. That's not what Christianity is all about. You could be a a total teetotaler and go to hell. Being a Christian means you have a faith relationship with Jesus Christ that shapes and defines your entire life. That's what it means to be a, a, a Christian. That's how you're saved. You turn from your sin, you put your faith and trust in Christ, and now he owns you and he defines your life. And now your life is lived for his glory, pursuing his pleasure. It's all for him. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about eating and drinking and other things. So the question for you this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every one of us. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again. And now he offers you the forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life, if you'll repent and believe on him. Receive by faith his gift of eternal life. Have you done that? Have you been saved? If not, that's your greatest need. That's the most urgent matter at hand. And this morning, I invite you to come to him. 
In a moment, we'll stand up and sing our hymn of decision. I'll be right here about you to come to me and say, Preacher, I need Jesus. I want to be saved. However you want to say it, we'd love to talk with you privately, share with you some scriptures, pray with you if you'd like to, that you could leave here today knowing that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home and Jesus is your Savior. Say yes to Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're looking for a church home. If God has brought you here, we'd love to have you. You can come forward and say, I I think I want to join this church. I think God has brought me here. We'll take it from there. Or if you need to follow him in baptism or pray with somebody, whatever God is saying to you, we invite you to say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. It is a timeless word. And Lord, as we we read this ancient wisdom, 3,000 years old, we see that, you know, the more things change, more things stay the same. And the same issues and problems and temptations they were dealing with back then, here we are today. It's like, it's like you're reading our mail. God, we thank you for a timeless word. I pray that you'd help us to be wise with alcohol and all these other matters that we've been looking at in the book of Proverbs. But God, most of all, I pray that you'd help us to see Jesus Christ, the one who's never been saved, help them to see they need Jesus. They must be born again. Bring them to the cross today. Take charge of this time of decision. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.